Good morning. I'm Taylor Hymnus with KSHB 41 here with another episode of Faith in KC. A few months since we've had our last episode. Glad you're joining us again this morning with, as I always say, an episode that I'm really excited to to bring you this time around for this month. Uh, my guest this month is Brother Thomas Sullivan. He is a monk at Conception Abbey Benedictine Monastery here in Missouri. And I've been wanting to do a conversation like this really since we started Faith in KC more than two years ago. Uh, the idea of a lifestyle that is not solitary necessarily, but very, very different from a faith perspective from what I assume is, is yours and mine uh, was something that was very interesting to me to ask some questions about. If you're like me, you just the idea of this guest all of a sudden have probably 20 questions you'd like to get answered. I didn't get to ask 20 questions. I wish we had the time to do that, but it takes me forever to ask a question, and you're going to hear from Brother Thomas. He's he's a, a guy that knows how to answer in depth as well. So we get, didn't get 20 questions in, and I, I hope you can appreciate the ones I did get a chance to ask. As I've talked about before, when I do these conversations, I don't really necessarily write down any questions. I just kind of let it be free form and the things that pop up to me, I respond to what the person says. And if I think of something else I want to ask, and that's how this goes today. But he's so smart and so kind and so giving with his time and with his information. I'm sure he gets questions like this everywhere he goes. And he was uh, very gracious as he answered mine this time around. I really hope that you and yours are having a wonderful holiday season, whatever your holiday is this time of year. it's weird to think that more than two years ago we started these Faith in KC's, and this is now going to be my third around Christmas time to do these Faith in KC episodes. Um, while to think about the the great things we've heard about faith-wise and religion-wise over the last couple of years. And I, as I say, I, I hope to continue these conversations. If this is your first, welcome. You can go and, and look at some of the previous episodes. We've done, I think, more than two dozen now. Um, if you've been a long-time listener, I hope you enjoy this latest one as well. Uh, if you have questions, please leave them in the comments. Let us know what you think. Uh, you can reach out to me on by, by email. I'm at taylor.hymnus at kshb.com. Or you can find me on social, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm easy to find. Would love to hear your thoughts on this one and who you think I might Uh, speak to next. But again, happy holidays from me and all of us here at KSHB 41 and enjoy this latest episode of Faith in KC. So I'm thrilled today to be joined by Brother Thomas Sullivan from Conception Abbey, a Benedictine monastery in Conception, Missouri. Brother Thomas, thank you for your time this morning. I'm so glad that you're uh, having some time to sit with me. Uh, My pleasure. So I've got so many questions. I apologize in advance because I've been looking, I've been doing been these faith and KCs now for a couple of years, and I've wanted to do one like this for a long time. So I've got lots of questions. I'll start with this one. I'm sure you get on a regular basis people who are excited to encounter someone like you and someone who lives a lifestyle like you do. Is monk the, the appropriate term? Yes. Okay. We're monks so and we, we live a monastic lifestyle. A monk who lives a monastic lifestyle. So when you get a chance to encounter someone who's not in that situation, I'm sure they have a million questions. Why does it seem to you that people like me are as fascinated with your lifestyle and what you've chosen to do as, as we all are? Uh, that's a good question. I think uh, what it is is that people wonder how fairly ordinary people like us hmm. lead a fairly not unorderly, but out of 
uh, out of the normal, uh, how do we bridge being fairly normal and living somewhat abnormally uh, in a monastery? Uh, living, living somewhat abnormally. I think we're going to get into that too, because I, I'm curious about for you to use that, that phrase. I'm curious about exactly what that, that means. Are we, this image behind you, is this the, the monastery that we're looking at? This yes, digital image? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For people who are not familiar with it, and I'm, I'm not myself, I've never been there. Tell me about what your situation is, where you're living is how many, how many other monks are there with you? What's, what's the living style there? Okay, we, uh, first of all, we were founded in 1873 from Switzerland. Uh, the monks there were afraid their monastery was going to be suppressed so they, by the government. So they sent monks over to the United States to found a place where they could live. And so we came to Conception, which was an Irish colony from Pennsylvania, and named Conception before we got to uh, this part of Missouri. We're 100 miles north of Kansas City and about 20 miles east of uh, Maryville, which is the uh, county seat for Nottoway County, which we always laugh at. Um, so there are 50, about 55 monks here. We run a printery where we do Christmas cards and other Christian greetings. We have a small college where we train college seminarians. So they're 18 to 22. And we uh, receive a lot of guests. We have uh, buildings for guests and we have lots of people, Catholic, non-Catholic, coming to visit uh, for retreats, personal retreats or group retreats and the like. So in the monastery, uh, we do almost everything together. That is, we get together nine times a day, minimally. Uh, we have six hours of prayer, or six different occasions for prayer. Uh, we call them hours. And uh, then we have our three meals together. Everything is in common. Uh, and uh, for that reason, I think there's lots of silence so we don't kill one another. You know, you have to kind of oil the thing to make it move. Everyone knows this place. We eat in seniority. We, in the chapter room where we have our meetings, we vote in seniority, inquire, we sit in seniority. Uh, and I think all that is to make life safer for everyone involved because it is semi-enclosed. Uh, we're not cloistered, but um, we do live pretty much together. So we have all these different devices, uh, social psychology that help us um, uh, generally thrive. Uh, we usually do pretty good. Uh, yeah. In you, you've been there for how long, Brother Thomas? Uh, I came as a student in 1965 and entered the monastery as a novice in 1968. So I've been here, whatever it is, uh, 50 some years. I was trying to think as I was getting ready for our conversation today, um, what is the bigger question? And I'll ask them both to you at the same time and let you answer however you like. And that is a version of what I'm sure you get all the time. Why did you choose to become a monk? And 
50 years later, why are you still a monk? I'm, I'm interested in, in, in both because I, I would think the answers may have a lot of similarities and maybe some that are very, very different reasons for the answers to those two questions. Um, what was the first question? Why, why did you choose to do it? Why, why did, you oh, say, why did I choose to do it? I'm gonna do when it. I, was in, I was in high school at St. John's Seminary, which was my family lived at that point in Kansas City. And the seminary was at 72nd and Paseo. Uh, and uh, when I was a junior, we had this great old Vincentian priest uh, who read to us every once in a while. Uh, and he read a canticle for Leibowitz, which is a science fiction type thing that is the world restoring itself after a whole, not a Holocaust, but atomic war. And so it recapitulates monastic history. And so as a junior in high school, uh, I thought, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Uh, I'd like to be a monk. And, uh, and it was enough. And also, I had, my parents were very, very active in the church. I have six younger brothers. And uh, mom and dad were active in what was called at that point Christian family movement, where it was an import from Europe, where you studied sacred scripture, uh, the liturgy, and uh, social justice, all in the context of the family. So growing up, we had a lot of priests coming in and out of the house, and uh, both in Chicago and in Kansas City. So it seemed, and I wanted to be a priest when I was uh, in grade school, so I went into the high school seminary. And uh, so I wanted to be a monk. This sounds terrible. But I thought it would sound pretty cool. Uh, and uh, I liked the monk. Like to, like to other people? You thought it would sound cool to other people that you're a monk? No, to myself. To yourself. <laughs> I, I really don't care. If other people think it's great, well, fine. Yeah. If they don't, too bad. So that was kind of the impetus. And I think because I uh, uh, had six younger brothers and it was a very lively family, yeah, uh, I was able to live already preformed in community uh, before I got there. I think that's an exaggeration, but uh, there may I, be I have three sons. I have three sons. I don't think it's a crazy exaggeration. Yeah, Maybe yeah. a little one, but I don't think it's a crazy exaggeration. And when I was a kid once, my Aunt Helen... Uh, once said to me, oh, Jimmy, when you, my uh, baptismal name is James. Uh, uh, she said, when you were little or young, you came over to our house, walked over from, and said, I just want some peace and quiet. <laughs> and she said, once I entered the monastery, oh, I knew you were going to be a monk. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if that's true, but uh, that was her story. So, uh, so why are you still, I mean, is, I mean, 50 years, has there ever been a point where you said, you know what, I, I this is, it's time for something else? Why, why do you think you've been able to maintain this lifestyle for as long as you have? I've, I'm happy here, always have been. I've always had um, uh, interesting work to do. Uh, I was dean in our college. I still teach history and humanities. I... Um, uh, I like the I, I like the people and uh, I like the way of life. And after fifty years, you kind of get used to the whole thing. I mean, you'd be in serious trouble if after fifty years you didn't know how to navigate and negotiate uh, 
all the different things of your life as they sure. have, have an impact on you here. So, so why I, I, say, I think well, it's, no, go ahead. I interrupted. I apologize. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, was uh, I was trying to think, I'm sure he's going to ask me something like this. What would <laughs> I say that doesn't sound fakey or, you know, pious? Um, so, and I think what I came up with was that um, Jesus in the Gospels inaugurated the kingdom. It was a kingdom of peace, uh, love, justice, all those happy things. And by his life, he inaugurated it. And I think what we do here at Conception is on a microcosmic level, um, live out and push for the realization of the kingdom. So, you know, it's kind of like uh, think globally and act locally about realizing the kingdom of God. So we do that in a, in a small way but anticipate uh, the kingdom as it will unfold. So we're doing our little bit to uh, hasten the time appointed for the kingdom. That doesn't, that doesn't sound pious. What do you, if you were afraid of that sounding a certain way, I, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, full disclosure, uh, the reason I found out about Brother Thomas is because he's related to a, a, worker, a co-worker of mine, a manager here at KSHB 41, and she was telling me about uh, is it cousins that your cousins with yeah, Carolina? first cousin. yeah she said i have a cousin who's a monk and because she was talking about being getting ready to see you around the thanksgiving holiday and she said i always enjoy seeing him and i was just fascinated and so uh and i know you guys didn't end up seeing each other i believe on, on thanksgiving she said you didn't end up coming but i was curious about because i think i know myself and anyone who's listening to this has certain connotations of what they believe to be a monastic, a monastic lifestyle of this is what he must do. This is what he must not do. So just the fact that you were going to come to Thanksgiving was surprising to me. Like, tell me about the ifs and whens of when you leave the monastery and, and the whys too. Um, we, I never would have been able to leave on Thanksgiving itself. Okay. But on the Friday, um, we, since we live so far away, we don't run around that much. And also, say, stay. I guess what I should say, first of all, we're not Trappists. Uh, Trappists have all the silence and cloister and they never talk. And we're a little bit more, not lax, but relaxed about yeah. this. So, I mean, we sing the divine office and we, we do all those things, but... Uh, and it depends on the abbot. Some abbots are very strict and don't let you go. Some abbots are say, sure, fine. Um, you know, make sure you, we have to get permission and a blessing to leave the monastery uh, during the day. And if we're going uh, for a conference or visit family or something like that, the abbot has to give you permission. So it's somewhat regulated. Um, and I think the older you get, the more relaxed they are. That, that yeah. they, well, yes, he's not going to mess it up uh, uh, that way. Do and you feel it, like you're you're that's an appropriate level? Like you describe some of those who are much more strict as far as what is allowed, what is not allowed. Do you think that that is something that obviously faith aligned with? If it made sense for you, is, would it be possible for you to be even more strict? Are you thinking, you know, I've done this fifty years. This is this is where I'm most comfortable. Um, well, I, yeah, I, here, 
here's the thing, you, since I've been here so long, uh, I've had a role in making the place the way it is. Right. Yeah. So that, uh, and, and I've never been a shrinking violet or, you know, one to lead a life hidden in Christ, you know, yeah. which is admirable, but that's not my, my, uh, charism, as they would say. Um, so yeah. I, and you have to realize too, that each Benedictine monastery is an autonomous house. We belong to an order, Benedictine order, uh, and we belong to a congregation, which is in the United States. But each house is autonomous. So the abbot and community within the wider tradition uh, of Benedictine monastic life uh, says, this is how we're going to do this. The abbot uh, is like a, a constitutional monarch. He, we elect him. He can tell us to do anything and the like. But, you know, he would always go, well, this is what's best for this guy or this is what's best for us. So how we live is just interpreted by this house. Presuming the Holy Spirit enlightens the abbot and us to live out the, the gospel uh, and the rule of St. Benedict. The rule of St. Benedict was sixth century. So, of course, we're not going to live like sixth century monks. Uh, so it's been interpreted uh, over and over and over again throughout the 1500 years that we've been in existence. So we started Faith in KC uh, in, I think, August of 2020 as a response to the pandemic. To We were trying to look at all the things that were impacted by COVID and that were changed by COVID and church worship and church attendance obviously was was high on that list and how no longer in many cases being able to gather in large groups may affect people's faith and that kind of thing and that's that was the 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 kind of prompt for where this series started it has since uh morphed a little bit into more conversations but that's that's where it started uh i always like to say these conversations are never meant to encourage someone to take up a faith that is not theirs or to convert or anything like that and i also always like to make sure people know I grew up in the church. I was raised in the Church of Christ. I continue to, to attend the Church of Christ with my family. So now that's all out of the way. I am I'm uniquely aware for myself personally. I think a lot of viewers who may watch this who are, are churchgoers have that idea of the person I am at church, for lack of a better description, and would like to be on a regular basis and then maybe the person I am the rest of the week. And yes, I'm, I'm trying to be that best version of myself, maybe, but I am sometimes fall short on Thursdays or Saturdays or whatever the, the away from church may look like. Um, for someone like you, who is living a lifestyle in which you are constantly surrounded by those reminders, for lack of a better word, uh, both internal and external, what, what do you see is that that, are you are you capable of having a an away from church personality and an in church personality, for lack of a better description? Like, I mean, is is that a thing that is that you notice, or is it less of a dichotomy for you because you're surrounded all the time? It's less a dichotomy, I think. Yeah, um, we're so immersed in it that if you don't align, if you if you don't pull the halves together, you have a hard time because we're you know it is all encompassing. 
you, we were like shut-ins or something. When we were young, we'd get movies and, and we're free because we were shut-ins to show <laughs> to the monks and the student. Uh, and so, but you do have to kind of, uh, yeah, I don't, at least for me, I don't think, uh, well, we're never perfectly outside and inside. You know, it's always, here we have trouble sometimes. People yeah. think we kind of float around in holiness but, you know, we have to, you, we all have jobs, we have teaching, whatever. So we have not the same stresses um, that other people have, but we do have uh, stresses. Uh, certain things, though, I've been really aware of. My mother and father have died, uh, and they were lucky enough to die at home uh, in their own beds and the like. But many people don't have that. And I was thinking how lucky we are that our, our infirmary is attached to the monastery. And when the time comes, you kind of march over there and say, I'm here. And you don't have to worry about any of that. Or you don't have to worry about going, who's going to pay the doctor bills? Or that's all taken care of. You give your life to the community and they sustain your life. Uh, so it's, uh, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, you are. Much you are. Because I, I, I was pretty I was, much, the first thing uh, you said. I mean, I think it would be very difficult to make the decision you've made and live the lifestyle you've lived and feel like, well, on Sunday afternoons, I'm going to be certain ways. And on Tuesday mornings, I'm going to be certain ways. I think that'd be pretty almost impossible for you to do. Yeah, but, you know, people are human and people make do goofy things all the time. <laughs> you know, we see it with the monks, including myself, or with the students. You know, you go, that was really dumb. I wonder right. why he did that, you know, stuff like that. And I, you know, people hope to be their better selves, as you mentioned, but it always doesn't uh, come true that way. Right, right. I, I can say as a, as a Christian, the, the, the Christians in my life that I have always most admired, respected, um, tried to emulate. And I think this, this is fair, whether it's Christian or not, of, of any faith, are not only the people who seem to have a, a personal connection and have, have a lifestyle they're leading that seems to fit into whatever faith you're following, but also those who seem to be highly capable, motivated of sharing that faith with someone outside of their community. Those that are able to, and again, this is not a denominational kind of conversation, but those that are able to openly profess their faith in a meaningful and respectful way to other people around them, whether it be missionaries or, or what have you. You mentioned earlier the goal of you and the other monks of, of trying to, to further the kingdom. I'm curious what, what, that, what that looks like for you. I mean, where, where do you feel that the efforts that you are making, whether it be in prayer or what you're doing teaching, where, where do you feel that your efforts are pushing forward a faith that you, that you support and would like to see more people uh, adopt, maybe? That's a good question. Um, I think that, to me, the Dalai Lama once said, all the world needs is kindness. And I'm not the kindest person. In the world. <laughs> I, same, I, same. I, I phrase sometimes easily. Um, I think it's just living together, being peaceful and just, 
and we do pray we uh, for the world, for justice, for migrants, refugees, all those things that Jesus talked about, and in the Old Testament that that uh, you know the widow, the orphan, and the like. We don't affect regularly, though we have priests in the monastery who will work in a parish. Um, so they do it a little bit more externally than we do internally. But I think it's just an attitude of uh, uh, trying to get rid of your own will, uh, which is very hard, and uh, trying to always be kind, which sometimes I, I'm too verbally aggressive. So I have to, you know, stifle myself constantly yeah. uh, from saying anything. Now, I don't know if that's going to hasten the kingdom, but it will for <laughs> me uh, that, that, uh, that I try to live, live, live peacefully. And I, I'm realizing as I get older and older that it doesn't have to be my way. There's young monks who are ready. They're in that stage where they want to run the show and uh, more power to them. I'm yeah. going to kind of withdraw as quickly as I can and um, uh, let them take over, and uh, which is very peaceful. But, but it takes some uh, self-talk to say, you don't really care about this. You know, if they ask you, you tell them, but you're not going to say anything or do anything. Just let the young guys do it. So in a certain way, it's circumstances because I'm old and um, I don't have the wit I used to have or, or the strength or whatever. Uh, so you leave your will behind and, and in a certain way turn our life over to the younger guys who, yeah. who are quite competent and uh, good monks and uh, are feeling their way through the, the, our, our life, uh, learning how to do it. I want to ask you about your relationship with prayer. And uh, again, and I, I hope people are realizing if this is your first time watching Faith in KC, we've got lots of these you can go back and watch. But I, I hope you're understanding from these questions that we try to make this, I may be talking to a person of one faith, but we try to make this um, as applicable to people of lots of faiths as I can. Obviously, faith, a big part of it is that that prayer aspect, whether you are trying to have a conversation with uh, your deity of choice, or you are requesting things, or you're praying for other people, that prayer element is there. Uh, I think for a lot of people, myself included, prayer is like, I pray to, on the way to work every morning. I come to work every morning at, you know, 3.15 on the way to work every morning. That's, that's when I pray and, and pray for people that are in my life and pray for coworkers, what have you. Um, and then I will admit, I'm not always great about the rest of the day picking that prayer back up uh, other than praying over food with my kids, that kind of thing. You mentioned the, the hourly prayers or the, the, the six hours of prayer when we first began this conversation, but I'm sure that's not it for you. What does is, what is prayer mean to you? Where is it in, in your daily breakdown? What is, what is your relationship with prayer? Uh, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I thought after 50 years, I would be a whiz at uh, 
prayer. I do enjoy choral prayer. That is when we get together and sing the divine praises and intercede for um, uh, humanity. Uh, and then we're supposed to, you know, punctuate. Well, we punctuate the day with prayer uh, by going, you know, during the day to sing sing the office, which is usually psalmody and uh, scripture, Old and New Testament. Most of it is very scriptural. Um, then another part of our day is supposed to read scripture and pray reading scripture, not just read, but I can't do it. I'm too analytic. And, I, you know, when I was young, uh, the uh, novice master said to me, uh, I don't know if you'll be able to, it's called Lexio Divina. I don't know if you'll be able to do this because you're too alert to what's going on and too uh, analytic. Uh, and I think you're going to have a hard time doing it, which he was perfectly uh, correct. I try. Uh, and uh, I think, well, uh, if God wanted me to do it, he'd give me the grace or the psyche or something <laughs> to do it. I'll, I'll, uh, I'm not very passive, but in certain things, you sure, fine, whatever. Um, uh, but you're talking about being too analytic of like specific scriptures and that kind of thing. Yeah, or as just you're, as say, you're oh, I wonder it. where this came from, or why did he say it this way? Or, you know, you'd find a Spanish version, an English, a German, and French and try to muddle through the different languages, but it's more intellectual. It's supposed to kind of move from intellectual to prayer, but I, I never got that far in the uh, path of, uh, of it. Uh, which is kind of appalling in a certain way, but <laughs> it's just the way it is. I, it may be, it, and that's, and see, that's another translation issue because for you, it may be a falling. For me, it's comforting to know that a guy yeah. who's been doing it 50 years says, uh, maybe I'm not the best at it. And that, that, that's, that's interesting. It's, it's, it, that perspective comes into it. Um, uh, tell me about what you feel is the, the future of monasteries like yours. Uh, because I, I, like it just, no, no offense at all, not you, the image of the monastery behind you that you have projected for this Zoom, it feels old. It, it feels like there is a, an, that time element is there. Do you think in 50, 100 years, monasteries will and can still exist? Like what's, what, or, and if you do, what's going to have to happen for people to continue to making the choices like, like you made so many years ago? Well, the... We've been around our, our house 150 years. When I came 50 years ago, we had 110 monks. Um, now we have 55. And so I think it's going to continue to shrink. But uh, I'm a historian. If you look at the history after the Second World War, the uh, numbers joining monasteries, especially men, like the Trappists and Benedictines. So our communities grew uh, almost abnormally uh, after the Second World War. And now that it's kind of like a self-correction, it's dropping. And now I haven't plotted out uh, 
whether you know this would have been the normal progression without this big uh, bounce after the Second World War. So I, I think that probably smaller communities would be the norm, or well, are the norm, because uh, all the in our congregation we've suppressed at their request um, maybe four monasteries already. Suppressed um, meaning closed or closed? Yes, yeah, say yeah. And there's been different reasons. Uh, we have a daughter house now in Wisconsin that we founded in the 40s. They didn't get any monks. They said, can we rejoin you? So we said, of course, said yes. And so we brought them into our community. Other places just closed. The monks who are sent to other monasteries, which is very hard because our, our vows are faithful obedience to the monastic way of life as lived at conception. Um, so if you go to another monastery, it's a different tradition. Now it's better than, you know, it's better than out in the cold, but you have, there's a lot of adjusting that has to be. So I imagine we'll continue to shrink and at a certain point, we won't be able to maintain all these buildings, though people are very, very supportive. We, we, people, we've built a lot of buildings. We make enough money to pay for our own life directly. We can't, we wouldn't make enough money to build buildings, refurbish the basilica and the like. So people are very supportive, but not many people are, are sending priests or, you know, from Catholic families, uh, not many priests, not many monks, not many religious, uh, including monks. What's going to happen? I don't know. I'll be dead. So, you know, at a certain point, well, whatever, I'm not going to be around. And, you know, at a certain point, we don't deserve to live forever. Just because we were started doesn't mean that, you know, God has the obligation to keep us flowing for another 50 or 150 years. It could be that it's his will that we close, like many of the sisters, uh, different congregations. They say they fulfilled their mission and turn out the lights as they leave. And uh, we're not at that point and won't be for uh, if it even happens. We, always, we have a steady stream of guys uh, trying out our life. About a third of them stay. <laughs> then, then about a third of them make solemn vows. Yeah. Where does the, if you don't, if I don't, mind, you don't mind my asking, where does, sure. where does the, the money come from that you guys use for paying for your lifestyle? Uh, from the printery house. Uh, oh, right. From, you, yeah, you make the yeah. Christmas cards, that kind the, of thing. That's different right. things we do. Yeah. But, you know, the school is very small, and it, it's, it's not making money, but we can subsidize it. Um, and the money, we have our own development office, late people, and one monk works in the development. Well, two, coming me. Uh, two monks work in it. Uh, and, but people are very generous. Let me ask you this, because you just said something about people trying it out and, and coming and saying, I, I think this is maybe for me. Is there such a thing as a wrong reason to do that? Is if someone, if someone goes, I've thought about it, I've prayed about it, potentially I've read about it, I've visited, I think this is where I'm supposed to be, or I'm choosing it for X number of reasons that, that may be 
not the best reason to come and do this. Is, is there such a thing as a, that's not, that's not a reason sure. to try to. Not, not too often. Um, but sometimes you think a kid has his mother's vocation or it's the father who wants him to be a priest or a mom. And so the kid isn't old enough or whatever self-actualized to say, that's your vocation or whatever. It's not mine. Uh, so sometimes guys will try that. The real thing is, I think, that, that what they have to be able to bridge the gap between what they think monastic life is going to be like and what it actually is. And I think when those two things collide sometimes, uh, then the, the kid has to figure out how to negotiate uh, that gap in his expectations and in the reality of the thing. And most of them do it fairly well, but certain of them say, no, I want to have a family. You know, I want to have someone who loves me alone. I like that, you know, but, you know. And so I was going to say, that's, that's my next question. And I, this is a personal question. I apologize in advance. It's too personal, but are there that family lifestyle or there, are there things that other than family that you look at over your 50 years and go, I, I do wonder what that might've been like. I, I, I wish I would have had a chance to experience that. I, I, if you, if you're about to tell me, Nope, I have no regrets. I will be even more impressed with you than I already am. I'll just tell you that up front. But I, I, I'm just picturing my own brain and my own heart. If I had done anything for 50 years, I think I would have thought along the way, gee, I wonder what that other side of the street might look or, or feel like. Well, you wonder, but I, you know, I, I was, I've often wondered if I had gotten ordained because at a certain point I chose not to get ordained. And um, so sometimes you wonder, oh, I wonder, but I'm glad I didn't. Which means, uh, I'm, and I'm sorry, if, if you'd gotten ordained, the difference would be versus not ordained is what? You'd, yeah, you'd be a priest and you'd, you'd have different assignments and different okay. work to do. Um, no longer but, a monk, ordained as a priest. No, you, well, okay. Uh, all of us here are monks. Some of the monks are ordained. Okay. Some of the monks are not ordained, and I'm okay. not ordained. Though so I was the first one in our community to make solemn vows uh, with no intention of getting ordained. It used to be that you had to, if you made solemn vows, you had to sign a paper saying, I will get ordained. But I came after the council and that whole worldview had shifted and I had enough strength of personality or ego strength to push my way through with the help of the abbot at that time and the novice master who were very, very supportive and always tried to tamp me down. Uh, you know, I'd say, I, I want to be a teacher. And they'd say, brother, the the thing is, you have to be a monk. And I said, I don't want to be a priest. And they'd say, that doesn't make any difference. Can you be a monk? Something like that. So I was handled very well. Uh, appropriately. I'm sorry. I, and I, and I, interrupted your answer about, I interrupted your answer about sure. choices and, and what you missed out on, that kind of thing. And you, that's why you asked about ordained. ordained. I apologize. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I missed out on anything. Well, you know, I mean, my brothers all have families and that'd be fun, but I, I've never, I've always been relatively satisfied with my life and I'm not 
terribly good at all of this, but decent enough. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, I, it, I got educated very well. Um, and the, the monastery educated me. The work I had to do was very interesting. They've supported my research and studies and the like. I, I really have no, you know, terrible regards. Some things you think, oh, I could have done this better and that better. On the whole, you know, the way it's, it's worked out, I've been happy. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, I'm almost out oh, of time. With you. I, I could talk to you all day, but I, I'm, I, I'm almost out of time with you. I, this next question is much more shallow um, because I'm, I, it's, it's a question that I had when we first talked on the phone last week, and I'm wondering if uh, others who are watching this are wondering it too. How's he on Zoom? And I was curious about when we, when we talked last week, I was like, does he have Zoom capabilities? Does he have a computer in his room? Like, tell me about the tech aspect of your life, because that's another thing that I'm sure 50 years ago, I know for a fact was very, very different just from capabilities. Not everyone had a supercomputer in their pocket walking around. Tell me about what the, the, the marriage of being a monk and tech looks like right now. I'm assuming you don't have a cell phone, but I don't know. Tell me about that. Um, I have a cell phone. Okay. Uh, which, of course, the community pays for. I have a computer in my room. I no longer have an office uh, because I'm semi-retired. So the guys who uh, like work in the seminary, uh, in the library, or the printery house, they all have computers and are fairly, I don't know if it's high tech, but it's <laughs> relatively high tech. Yeah, um, uh -huh. And for me, I study the medieval university, and I can do a lot of my research online, um, you know, to take to look at different documents from the 15th century and the like. Sure. So yet we all have this. The novices and juniors can't have uh, uh, the newly the novices and the newly professed don't have phones or computers, even though they all had them before they enter. Uh, most of the monks don't have computers in their room. Uh, and the only reason I had a credit card was that I was the librarian and the abbot said, uh, you need a credit card uh, because who knows, you may be someplace and um, you'll see a book that you want to buy for the library. I thought, great. <laughs> because sometimes you're loud, you know, you, you're out there before we had credit cards or before I did, and something would happen and there was, you couldn't figure out what to do because you had no money, which of course was, everyone thought, oh, that's very heroic and the like, but it was really kind of, at a certain point you were thinking, I don't know what to do, or I didn't have any cash yeah. And you're thinking the car broke down. What do I do? Yeah. Something like that. What Maybe about TV? Played it by ear. Yeah. What about television? Do you, I mean, is there a television in, in that building at all? What, what, what about TV? Yes, there, there is a television, um, which hardly anyone watches. The only thing they watch is like uh, the soccer, whatever this thing is, the World, World Cup. Cup. World Cup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what. <laughs> People will be down there, or Wimbledon, or what? What's the one? That's that's the one in England. Yeah, that kind of stuff. They may watch that. There's not much news watch. Of course, if you have a computer, you don't need the television. You, but we don't um, have Netflix or or any of those things. Well, at least 
I don't know of anyone who has Netflix. No streaming services there in the monastery. That's I, well, I, I assume that was the case. The students might have it. We have okay. the seminarians. Uh, and some of the monks may have it. Like we have one monk who is uh, ill with emphysema. He's kind of like a pulmonary invalid. And he doesn't, you know, especially with COVID and the like, he leads a very secluded life uh, in his room. It's kind of like a hermit. Um, and he probably has access to stuff like that because he just can't. I mean, you can only read scripture so long. At least I would think that uh, he needs a break from uh, being I, I assume so. I, I, I know that I would. Um, last question. Uh, and I again, I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, and I really, I, I like, I want to hang up the Zoom and then keep talking to you all day because I, it's so interesting to me. Well, but, you're always um, welcome. <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, you mentioned that you are out and about sometimes. Uh, that you leave the monastery for one reason or another. Um, what is it like when people, do you, is it obvious that you're a monk if I were to encounter you someplace? Are you wearing a robe? Are you wearing regular clothes? What, is there anything obvious well, about it? That's interesting. Some of the younger monks wear regular, I mean, wear uh, a habit outside. And they, I think their goal is to give witness that there are people who choose to do this. My generation and most just wear civvies because you don't want to pay, have people, you don't want to play, you know, having people do nice things for you because people are very generous. And um, at a certain point, you can manipulate people and, you know, uh, so I never did it. I remember Maryville's 20 miles away. The bus stopped there, like Greyhound or something. And I went in once to pick up some guest in my habit and got out. To, and people, I thought, I'm going to cause an accident here uh, because of my habit, because people just aren't used to seeing uh, people in habits. But here at the monastery, of course, we, we wear them for everything. And that was, I said, that was my last question. It wasn't just tell me about your wardrobe, but the, the, the thought behind that was when you do go out and encounter people, and especially now, since you, since you mentioned that you're wearing just regular clothes, whenever you go out and, and that kind of thing, when you do that, that mixture and for it, and to hear you say, I don't want to play people. I don't want to force people into reacting a certain way around me, but you also are interested in making sure you're reacting a certain way to them and promoting kindness yeah. and, and being a, a positivity. Is that, is that difficult of, of feeling like you an observer who doesn't want to be observed or, or what's, what's that like for you when you're, when you do leave the walls of the monastery and you, and you're with people? Well, I like to talk about the monastery and about monastic life. So it's not, you know, and when, and even though I may not wear a habit, I always, say, Brother Thomas from Conception Abbey. And when I was at the university, uh, it was always Brother Thomas. Uh, so people did expect, and, and I wore civics, but people did expect you to be more pious. Uh, and sometimes you thought, well, you could expect all you want. Uh, I'm not very pious <laughs> to begin with, so I'm not going to play piety. Uh, but sometimes you had to be careful not to be scandalous. Well, brother.
Thomas, I, 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 I've said it several times. I can't say it too many more, but I, I can't thank you enough for the time this morning, for your candor, for your honesty, and, and telling me. I know that my questions were probably kind of misguided in some cases, but I, I, I thank you so, so much. Well, it's been my pleasure. As I said, I, I, uh, you had good questions that elicited uh, good responses that weren't I couldn't plan for all of them. No, go ahead. So, that's that's so always the goal. There's a little uh, from bit my more side of the interview. That is always yeah. the goal from my side of the yeah. interview. But yeah. uh, happy holidays to you and, and to the brothers. And if I, I hope one day I get the chance to, to meet you in oh, person. Yes, and please. I'm sure I will recognize you when I do. Yes, and bring my cousin up with you. She's supposed I will. to come sometime. So. She, and I, she and I will have a field trip and come up and say hello. Okay, that'd be day. great. That'd be great. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you.